The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning. This is the 3CR Gardening Show and I'm Virginia Hayward. Just at the moment, we seem to have started a bit early. I hope you don't mind that, which is why we listen to our music for such a long time. This morning, I have Penny, Karen and Chris with me, each of whom will tell you a little bit about themselves. Chris, good morning. Hey, Virginia. Good to be back. Um, Yes, I'm Chris Williams and I'm uh, a lecturer in uh, urban horticulture at the Burnley campus of the University of Melbourne. And Penny. Um... Penny Woodward. I'm an author and writer and editor and brilliant I'm gardener. And a gar- Well, I don't, I'm not feeling quite so brilliant at the moment. It's been such a difficult season for the things that I really care about. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I do talks as well. So. And Karen. Hi, I'm Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design and I specialise or have for the last 15 years or so in edible gardening teaching, sometimes installing, and a lot of um, native food plant work as well. Excellent. (coughs) And it has been a difficult season, Penny. It's been good in some ways. No fires, no 40 degrees. Yeah, well, I mean, no fires for us, but um, it's been been too humid. It's been... um, We've in, at times we've had way too much rain, although that's a that's a hard thing to say. But it, the way it's come has made life difficult. And you know the final thing earlier in the week, which was which was nothing like as bad for me as it has been for you know numerous other people. But all my tomatoes blew over. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> they just the way that I'm doing them at the moment. I put them in cages with a with a stake to hold them up. And they just got to the stage where they've got good fruit on them that's only just starting to ripen. Um, but the weight of the fruit with the combination with the wind, that, even that, though it's in a relatively sheltered corner of the garden, they all just went boom. Did you? I stood them all up again the next day. I couldn't cope going out and even mm. looking at the garden. Well, I, I mean, the power went out, so we had no power for nine hours, but we weren't oh, as we, bad as 30. the people. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, for me, when there's no power, it means I've got no bathroom, I've got yes. no drinking water. Yeah, we're the same because we work on, yeah, we're not on so downwater. Water. Yes, so. it's difficult not being on yes. downwater sometimes. <laughs> Have you found the same, Karen? Um, yeah, it has been. Uh, I've been doing more of my veggie gardening, which Finney's talking about a bit more just there, in um, country Victoria at the family farm. And even up there where it's a longer season, it's northeast of Shepparton, we're still getting um, really slow ripening of tomatoes. But the cucumbers, on the other hand, have loved the extra moisture. Yes. They haven't really cared too much. So lots of cucumbers and zucchinis, just so a bit of fungal disease. you've had the extra moisture <coughs> up there. Oh, yes, yeah. And we're on a hill up there and it's very rocky. But as one of my um, old uncles said, who's in his 90s, he's never seen water. I mean, the records don't show that it's been wetter up there which is really odd but the, maybe it's what Penny's saying the way it's been falling I mean we've just never seen water lying around so much and even across some of the roads which is really unusual in that area because it has a lot of rocks and porous soil and yeah I mean I have a veggie garden at my parents that I do for them and that's it's been okay um tomato's slow um I've had some 
trying to compare um, baby, to, you know, tomatoes I've sown myself and planted, and compared to advanced ones I bought at the big green temple, and I call it as I call it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and strangely, for the first time ever, or it's the first time in decades that I've grown Apollo, and as a ten dollar specimen I bought, it actually has gone really well compared to cross lists. So, but I will say that I looked at the bureau's prediction uh, in uh, whenever it was September for a hot, dry summer. I went right now. I'm going to grow cassava. It's going to be a great year for this crop that needs serious heat. And maybe you can talk about it later. But I've been doing a project with the United African Farm, and they were really excited about growing cassava. And sure enough, it's been. I mean, it still grows. It still have a growing season, but. In other years where it's been extremely hot, it grows actually quite well in Melbourne for about three months. So that was my main disappointment. Well, mine, I've got a couple of acres of grapes, and if we get a third off that crop this year, we'll be lucky, okay. I think. Yep. And no, um, wine grapes. <laughs> I, I was just going to um, mention, well, you know, look for the uh, more mildew-resistant types, like the Vitus lab Labrusca. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, and of course my roses just look terrible. Yeah, mine do too. Absolutely terrible. I don't terrible. have very many, but yes. And the other thing I've got at the moment I've noticed is that I'm beginning <clears throat> to get things, either spring flowering things, spot flowering, or autumn things coming on now. Yeah, my pear, my big old pear tree has got pears on it, but it's also flowering. Right. So it's we're getting, very confused. We're getting spring berries again, but of varieties that are... You know, not like the summer fruiting raspberries that you're meant to get a second crop from. It's um, thornless youngberries and things like that that are not meant to fruit again now. <laughs> so, yeah, very weird. Well, I did think, I was thinking to myself, oh, no, it's raining. And I thought, oh, my God, you sound like a Londoner again. <laughs> that was one of the main things I knew when I had moved back properly, when I stopped going, oh, no, it's raining, and saying, oh, great, it's raining. This was the difference between being a Londoner and being a Melbourne person. Very quick uh, aside about that. I just I, I saw last night a linguistic analysis of the main words that English people use, and sun is... Like someone studied tens of thousands of Brits to see what words they use, and the word sun is, is in the top three, not rain, so it's because of the hoping for sun. So just to <laughs> confirm your experience... Well, I've got a very close friend who lives in Northern Ireland and he said with the warming of the sea, one of the effects is that it's even greyer and even wetter. Mm. And Northern Ireland is very wet. Mm. You know, so I cannot imagine how grey it must be. But And they can't grow things because it's too wet. They grow wonderful rhododendrons. Okay. Yes. Ferns? But pota <laughs> potatoes, obviously, right? Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, although remember the potatoes came from, came from South America. Indeed, I mean, they had potatoes because they because the Brits were busting up all their farms and making them smaller mm. and smaller to weaken them. So yes, and then they only had one crop because during the potato famine there was actually plenty of barley in the country, but they weren't allowed to eat it. Mm. It had to be exported. Export, to ab them. absolutely no horrific history. Yes, it's not a good history. Do you exporting things instead of eating them in your own country? That never happens now. <laughs> Quite, quite. <laughs> so, grapes. You have you have brought in grapes, oh, Karen. Th these are a gift for Penny, but um, everyone is welcome to um, try them and, and you know give an on-air analysis. <laughs> these are called strawberry grapes, and they smell and taste like strawberries. Okay. And that's their common name. They're Vitus oh. lab Labrusca Isabella, mm -hmm. and I have to say that just wow. about every 
um, every culture in Melbourne, and there's a lot, well, not every culture, but a huge amount of different cultures mm. in Melbourne are convinced that that plant is originally from their country. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, they're one of those old-fashioned... I know, they've got seeds, they're small, but they're just full of flavour. Beautiful flavour. So, fabulous. Yeah. So delicious, I just started munching into the microphone. Yeah. Apologies <laughs> to the listeners. Well, that's to give the actual, you know, the, yeah. Um, yeah. taster, taster-rific of something across the microphone. And they're pretty tough plants, aren't they? They're incredibly tough mm. uh, and mildew-resistant. That's what I was, um, you know, butting in before about, mm. that they're good. For, they've got a teeny little bit of fungal disease this year, but, I mean, I don't even treat them with milk spray. I do nothing, mm. and they this vine grows in semi shade, and yeah, you, you know. gave me one years ago, Karen, and I, it, yeah. What did you do to it, Chris? <laughs> it stayed in a pot. I'm going to throw someone anonymously under the bus and say someone helping me threw it out. Oh so, no! So, um, yeah. Mister Anonymous uh, or Miss Anonymous, no good. Probably me, but you know. <laughs> um, but I really wanted it because That's I'd sad. had that taste test before. Uh, anyway, that's just a subtle, massive hint mm. that I'll take a cutting someday. Anyway. Well, well, um, can I can I mention that I am going to have a sale of aforementioned grapes on March the sixteenth, Saturday, March the sixteenth, in the afternoon, one till three, about those times. So yeah, I've got a whole lot collected and grown, and so, yeah. where? And, and oh, yes, beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Twenty-two Lockinvar Street, Pascoe Vale South. Well, I think that's well worth buying. It yeah, they really actually, are good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, t- listeners, I didn't taste one. I thought, no, I've got to concentrate on what I'm doing. But I then just tasted because everyone was raving and they are absolutely mm. beautiful. They're, re- they're really good, yeah. So you're going to have a sale of these grapes. Anything else or just the of grapes? The, um, grape vines, of the grape vines. Of the grape vines, yeah. yeah. Um, I know, yes. One, sometimes people will come and say, where's the grapes? <laughs> yes. No, it's, <laughs> they thought I was selling, selling my fruit. You're like, selling oops, the plants. The plants, the plants, people. Uh, I have got some slow plum plants that I've dug up, you know, the slow of slow gin fame. S-L-O-E. S-L-O-E, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I've got some of those for sale too. and uh, For gin. Yes, for gin or for, or for jam. Mm. Uh, they didn't seem to have fruit. They didn't fruit that well for me in a very dry spot. They obviously need mm. a reasonable amount of moisture, but they are good hedgerow plants or, you know, they're, they're really for, I only, only encourage people to buy them if you've got a big property or if you've got space, because they do sucker and they're thorny. So, you know, they're meant for that kind of The only place purpose. I've ever seen them is in Italy, where they grow wild. Oh, okay. Well, they, they've naturalised in Tasmania as well. Oh, that's bad. Which, <laughs> well, it's good for the Tasmanian gin producers. <laughs> and they do make some really yummy slow gin down there. <laughs> yes, well, it's absolutely yeah. how I always think of it. I think I of it, it. As, as gin, not as jam. But that might be just because of my name. Ah. <laughs> There's an excuse. <laughs> well, on on that, as we've announced one thing, I might announce some of the other things that are coming up. Uh, next weekend, we've got the Melbourne Begonia Society sale, which is at Moorabbin Seniors. And you can find that begoniasmelbournesock at gmail.com. And there's also next weekend the Dahlia sh- show 24th and 25th of February which is at Mount Waverley Community Centre. Dahlias have been doing very well this year so that'll be a very um, beautiful show I imagine, the Dahlia show at Mount Waverley Community Centre. Then the 2nd and 3rd of March is the Whittlesea show and then also the 3rd of March is the Heritage Fruit Tree Festival at Werribee Park Farm. I think that's a, a free event, oh that might be gold coin donation I think. 
Then the 9th and 10th of March, it's Fernie Creek, and that will be an excellent plant sale. We are hoping to broadcast live from there. And we will have, later in the show, we will have two double passes for the Sunday. It'll be a matter of just leaving your name here, but no, we haven't, we're not being able to do the phones just yet. I'll tell you when the phones can come on. So that's the Fernie Creek Plant Collectors Expo, which is the 9th and 10th of March. The 16th of March is the Sunshine Golden, it's Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club are having their 103rd annual show in Simi Street. That's free admission in Sunshine. And then the 17th of March, we've got Encouraging Women in Horticulture are having a, a guided tour of the Sensory Garden at Royal Talbot with Stephen Wells and Sandra Schwartz, both of whom are on our show. So that's Encouraging Women in Horticulture. All these things you can easily find looking up online. And the Yarra Edge Nursery, which is connected to the Hort Horticulture Studies at Melbourne Poly in Fairfield. It's Bend Road in Fairfield. They're having a sale. Now, this is a lovely little nursery. Uh, the students have a lot to do with it. This is where Chloe lectures and they're having a sale till the next school holidays. So really encourage you to mm. um, drop in and have a look because it's one of those little nurseries that needs um, needs support. It's a nice nursery. It's a lovely little nursery, isn't it? And then the 16th and 17th of March, it's the Herb and Chili Festival in Quail Road in Wandon. And just a quickie on the Aprils, I'll just mention them. 13th and 4th is 4th, 13th and 14th is the Rare Plant Fair at Broughton Hall. It's the, that's down in Jindavik. It's the first time that's come back for quite a long time. The 21st and the 22nd is the Arab Valley Plant Fair. And of course, the 21st on is Mifkus. The other obvious thing to mention is Open Gardens in March. Uh, they there are no open gardens at the moment there was an open garden two weekends ago there was open gardens in january but they get fully into into business in march with one first mansfield then canterbury then malvern then inverloch so you for all of those you just look up open gardens victoria oh and of course i forgot the ballarat begonia blooming festival which is the 9th to the 11th of march which is another brilliant thing to actually do. Mate, could I mention a couple of things? Please. Um, Diggers has got their big tomato tasting thing over the first weekend in March. And in the second weekend in March, I'm doing talks on three consecutive days for Diggers, tomatoes and garlic. Oh, brilliant. Two, two talks a day. So Where? Um, um, at Heronswood. So this is all, all happening at Heronswood, which is in, in Dramana. So that, the Mornington Peninsula. That would be wonderful. It's easy to get yeah, to. Well, lots of lot. It's it's a big anniversary of, of you know their heirloom tomatoes and the first tomato taste test that they did and all that sort of thing. So it's a, I think it's a it's a pretty important couple of weekends. Certainly the, the big tomato taste test on the on the first weekend in March. I think is pretty exciting. So yeah, I it's um. And, and fortunately, although we've been saying that tomatoes uh, haven't been fantastic this year, 
there's still a lot around and there's some really good flavours. Some of the ones the ones of mine that I have ripened are, are, are just fabulous. They're really my, good. My son-in-law picked his first lot from Fitzroy mm. this weekend yep. and they did look very good. And the thing that I've been doing is picking them as soon as there's any colour showing on them. Me too, I'm yeah. not leaving them on the plant. Actually, that's been helping. Yeah, I've been doing the same thing, yep. ripening them inside. Yep. Because it's been quicker than letting them ripen And, and there's yeah. a lot of people who actually say that they taste better if you pick them early because they're not getting diluted all the time by being watered. So the flavour is not being diluted. You get a more intense flavour. Well, that, of course, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, so mm. I, I just do that automatically now. I have this one table that just has tomatoes on it. And so you let, just and, let them ripen? And I let them ripen inside. And and it means they're not getting taken so much by the birds. Yes. Or rats. Um, or the rats, <laughs> yes. Yes, well, I have, I have mine, which are not anything like ripe, but I have mine mm. undercover, but that doesn't stop. I have tried and tried and tried to stop the rats. I've done tin, I've done tin underground, I've... I cannot stop the rats. Mm. They, are, they are so clever. Yes. It's no wonder the I've scientists use them. I've got rabbits in them. my garden now too. Oh, no. Which is pretty... <laughs> I'm, Ra- I'm trying are... to ignore them, but there's, I can't get rid of them, um, so I'm going to have to find a way of living with them. The only thing to do in getting rid of them is to pump gas into their holes. Yeah, but I don't know where the holes are. Oh. I mean, this is in a. This is not on... They're coming in from other properties and from the foreshore and... And they've been on the foreshore for a long time, but they've now find, found their way over the busy road into all the next houses. And How terrible, because um, they are the bane of my life. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what I'll be doing is fencing my main garden beds, so putting small, small fences around them so the rabbits can't get in and then everything else is just going to have to cope. Well, so. they don't tend to eat salvias. <laughs> okay, good. Good. It's an important thing yeah, to know. And I don't think they eat lavenders either. No, they don't eat lavender. And they don't particularly like rocket. Yes, I've noticed Cause that. Because I know someone who planted rocket right round the outside of her veggie bed and the rabbits wouldn't go through it. They don't eat society garlic either. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, really? At my oh, place. I've had them not eat it. Had a really bad <laughs> rabbit-affected garden. Oh, no, they love it. Rabbits. I've sto- I've stopped rabbits or rabbits? Rabbits. Yeah, rabbits. Okay. I've stopped okay. growing it. really surprised. Yeah. The other thing I've found, just for your advice, mm. Penny, is that, I mean, I planted some origarine and they ate it. Yeah. They'll eat anything young. Okay. So I've found that I have to, I've got... Protect the young plants. Heaps and heaps of pots <coughs> that have had the base but, cut yeah, out. I do that all the time yeah. for snails and for all sorts of other things, for stopping birds from digging them up. So. And if I get them up, <coughs> then the rabbits will tend to leave them. I've done a whole new garden bed. Okay. I've joined two garden beds because I promised my family there'd be no new ones, so I just... <laughs> They said my garden was too big, which it is. And the thing, they ate virtually everything until they got up. And I couldn't believe some of the things they were eating. You'd think you'd think that they were hungry. I can't imagine. There's grass everywhere. There's grapes. There's yeah, all the, so much other stuff to yes, eat. Yes, but no, they go for my garden. Mm. I hate them. Mm. But Craig and Jane and all those friends of ours that are in the Dandenong say, ha. Huh, you wait till you get the deer. Deer, yes. Okay. I've got nothing to complain about, they assure me. Right. I don't actually believe them. Yes, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to get deer in summers. I, I hope not. Well, that they've got them the, in Alphington. Yeah, but we're right down on Western Port Bay, so 
there's snow deer in the nearby, less, you know, wallabies and kangaroos and emus and stuff, but no deer. Yes, yet. I'd love to have emus. That would be so exciting. <laughs> so the rabbit, the, the, the mixo and the Khaleesi virus just aren't no. doing their... Chris. I mean, sorry, I'm, 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 I used to work in conservation for a long time. It's been a while since I've thought about rabbit populations. The, the rabbits in my yep. garden are looking pretty seedy, I have to okay. say. They've got... Sort of patches on this on their fur and stuff like that, Mine and they looking, don't run very fast. Mine are looking beautiful, but yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. And mm. when I jillarooed out in out of a hundred mile out of Esperance in Western Australia, there was a rabbit plague there, and the old geezer on the property said, "You see, one we used to go catching mm. them at night. We'd spotlight them, catch them by hand mm. for fun. I mean, the things you do when you're young." And the old geezer said that you see one black rabbit for every thousand ordinary rabbits. I've seen two black ones on my property recently, and I saw them at there the same time, so they're not the same one. So that does mean I have got an excess of rabbits. of rabbits. I mean, hmm. the uh, yeah, putting my ecologist hat on, I mean, ultimately the problem is lack of predators. I mean, I was involved with a thousand acre cat and fox proof fence project years ago before we put in endangered marsupials, and... We had a, an old dogger come, as you know, come in and kill. He, had, he took him months to kill the last cunning old fox. As soon as that pressure was gone, the rabbit numbers went up. Mm. Like that's in a thousand acres. Just just the presence of a few foxes had kept them their numbers very low. Well, so I mean, it's just this dilemma, right? Well, I have got the cheekiest fox. He walks past me cooking in the kitchen and just looks up at me and goes well, on. Tell him to get out and start. I have. I've asked him. <laughs> I've asked him. And, I mean, my my Kelpie, or at least my daughter's Kelpie, she's pretty good. I had the most brilliant Burmese cat, runt of the litter, tiny, would kill the rabbits as big as him, mm. eat the head and then put them under my bed. That bit I didn't like. <laughs> Godfather style. Make you an offer you can't refuse. But unfortunately, oh. Snook has gone to God. So I don't, and I, I haven't, I adored that cat. I think Burmese cats are totally wonderful, but I haven't got another one because I've got the most amazing amount of small birds in my place, mm. so I just can't bring myself mm. to. Yeah, the small birds in my garden have been extraordinary this year. They're just fabulous. Absolutely. I keep seeing the weebills, which yes. usually the, I don't. Yes, yeah, yeah, lots of weebills. I love yeah. weebills. They're the smallest bird in Australia. And they, and they have just, this beautiful trilling call. It's just gorgeous. And I had they nested in my grevillea, and when mm. they had three babies, and when they came out, they used to play just like kittens, mm. and they they chase each other around, and they sort mm. of stop on your head for a minute, and then off they'd go again. <laughs> Only lasted about two weeks, but yes. it was so exciting. Yeah. I love small birds, and the salvias are fabulous for small birds. Yeah. They both yes. those bigger ones give the protection they need. Mm. And there's lots of food in the salvias. And you need spiky things for yes. small birds too. Yes. So that they can hide in there. Well, I've got a big grevillea, really mm. big grevillea. It's only five foot, but it'd be at least five foot wide. And it's covered in Canedia, the mm. running postman. And that's where they nested this year. And okay. they were very happy in there. And do you have many noisy miners? No. Oh, none. Right. Well, that helps. Hate, we've hate we've got a few, but they come in from next door from cleared gardens around us, but well, that's not the, often in, in my garden. Cause that's the problem so in Melbourne, isn't it? Yep. They're all our gardens of yep. heaps of grass and very few shrubs, so yes. we don't have the small birds don't anymore. Have the we've lost that. Exact took the words out of my mouth. That structural complexity of mm. layers is so important mm. for small birds. And for the first time this year, I found a snake in my garden. 
which was interesting. So we decided to leave it. Well, eat I'm, the rabbits. Well, they will. Eat the kittens anyway. Some of the, some of the snakes will eat the rabbits. I went to a talk at the um, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens last week about snakes because they have snakes in the garden down there, but they have also now have a snake person on the staff and he collects them and takes them back out to the bushland because they can't really have them sitting in the rocks, in between all the rocks. Um, With all when the people. people wandering past in thongs and stuff like that. Um, but he was really interesting in, in talking about, about the snakes and I learned all sorts of things that, oh, I, nice. that I didn't know about them and I just feel quite different about snakes now because they are, um, we have seven of the nine species in the, in the Melbourne and Mornington Peninsula and sort of, that well in Victoria pretty much, not so much up near the border, but um, they're poisonous. So, you know, you do have to be careful, but snakes don't want to bite you. They want to go away and leave you alone. Well, as one um, of my friends said, it's an enormous amount of effort to produce all that venom. Yes. They don't want to waste it on yeah. you. And most of the ones in our area have tiny little fangs. So if you're wearing jeans and boots... They, they, they got that close enough to see the tiny little thing. No, this is what this <laughs> lovely man said Sorry. that was talking to us. And he kept talking about the amazing bodies and how beautiful some of their eyes were and stuff like that. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm not going to get close enough to see any of that. I, I don't like it when they fix their beady eyes on you personally. <laughs> I, I was picking up sticks and went to pick up a stick and it turned out to be a red-bellied black. Yeah. but Sorry, you just backed off. Backed off. Yeah. They're definitely wimps, relatively red-bellied blacks. I mean, they're lovely, but they're, they're way more timid than a tiger yeah. snake. Yes. I haven't seen tigers. I've only seen red-bellied blacks. We've had copperheads. And before. copperheads. I've had mm. copperheads in the vineyard. Mm. But And the red-bellied blacks apparently eat the babies of other spiders. I mean, other, other snakes. snakes. Yeah. And the other thing about these snakes in, in Victoria is that um, most of them have live births. So they carry the eggs, the female snakes carry the eggs in their body and they lay tiny little snakes in a big pouch with all together and then they gradually break out of that pouch and sli slither off. Um, but they don't lay eggs because it's too cold <laughs> and they can't, they can't um, nurture them for long enough for the two or three months that they need to be able to hatch out, apparently. Well, that's so, I, you know... I love learning new things. Absolutely. Well, and uh, I mean, people want to get rid of mosquitoes, which I'm at the moment mm. covered in mosquito bites because Craig and I went and helped at the Long Acres, the, the Streeton Garden, Sir Arthur Streeton okay. Garden yesterday. And just got eat. I covered. I they bit me through my clothes. And they're quite dangerous now. Well, in yeah. Penny's area and my area, yeah. we now have the Beruli ulcer. Yes, we've and, always had it at point. And Ross stuff. River virus. Oh, you speak so casually about it. <laughs> One of my it's friends, bad. one one of my friends at Point Lonsdale recently had one of those yeah, well, ulcerated yeah. we've sores. Got, we've got friends whose relatives, yeah, I've known lots of people who who have this ulcer. Mm. We've had it for six months or so. But of course, bad. mosquitoes also are important in fertilising plants. I mean, mm. they have a much, they have an actual role in the yeah, environment. Yeah, they do, they do, which we tend to ignore. Yeah. Well. We, we, na we have our phones, so let me announce the number. Talk back today, 94190155. If you want to text us, 0488 809 
This comes through the computer, so we can't take photos. If you want to send a photo in question, go to 3cr.gardening at gmail.com and that will be looked at for next week. We've already had one question. Any suggestions for which herbs will grow in light shade, please? Raised bed in hospital courtyard under a shade cloth which can't be removed. Okay. Um, well, chervil is the first one I'd suggest. Chervil is a... It's also known as sort of French parsley. It's a beautiful, small, well, it can get can get a bit bigger, but delicate. It's a plant that's very completely pretty edible. Plant. It's a very pretty plant. It has pretty flowers. Um, it, look, as long as you steer away from the Mediterranean herbs, which really do need sun, so all the past, the sage parsley will grow in, in shade. Mint will grow in shade. It won't grow quite as well in shade, but it's mint is... But a, it'll take over. Yeah, look, it will, but if you put it in a pot with edges above the soil, then um, that's quite a good way of keeping the mint confined in a in a bed where you, in a small bed where you're trying to get a whole lot of stuff growing. So coriander for yes, coriander as well. I think coriander is yeah. much better in light shade. Yeah, and it also you should plant it in autumn and not spring. So now's the perfect time, or in the next month or so, to put it in and grow it from seed. Yes, it hates being transplanted. Yes, and although if you do grow, if you do transplant it, the seeds can be collected for your curries, and the green seeds are so tasty. They're I beautiful, love aren't the they? green seeds yeah. in food. Yeah, just sprinkled over the top of the curry just before yeah. you serve it. Oh, wonderful! I haven't tried the green seed, but can I suggest lemon sorrel? Oh and yes, red dock. more yeah, small salady things. Yes, still kind yeah, yeah. of her- well, lemon sorrel's a herby kind of thing. Yeah, and the Very red, tasty. the red. Um, Why are you laughing, Chris? I just. What's wrong I with lemon sorrel? I really don't like that. <laughs> oh, for some well, reason. it's a flavor. It's a flavoring, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not a. I was talking to someone about about it yesterday, and they were saying, "Oh, not everybody in the community garden likes it." I was saying, "Well, you know, you don't just grab pepper and eat it and say, oh, no, I don't not like fair pepper.' Point. But you know, we all have. Well, most of us have pepper." But, you know, it's it's good as a flavouring, just be, you know, sparing I, with I it. I just eat it. I, well, well, I, I do too, but, sorrow. you know, for those I, who... I think it's great. Or just don't eat it because you don't like, you know. The, yeah. I mean, there's herbs that I just don't like. I just don't eat mm. them, you know. Yeah, we go through... I, I'm growing stevia for the first time in years. Okay. And, good, I mean, I like I like it processed from a tub from the supermarket. But eating the leaf, it, it's a bit rugged, i got to say. It is. Oh, I like the leaf much more than the processed stuff. Interesting, yeah. Because yeah. you, you get that initial hit of sweetness, which is extraordinary. It's a bit saccharine and least, and then you get a bit of a kind of bittery, strange aftertaste. But it's still, still an amazing plant to grow. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the leaf that is sugary. It's a pretty amazing... Yeah. It's something like yeah. a thousand times sweeter than... Sugar. Right. So yeah, that huge. makes sense. And you've got to use really small amounts of it. Mm. And it's mo- it's a more tropical plant, so it grows better in New South Wales. And, but it should have done quite well this year with the, with the humidity because oh, that's the sort of conditions. It's going works. really well. In fact, it, yeah. you know, because it's quite brittle and it's been striking from cuttings very readily. It's, Does yeah. it, have, do you, you can grow it through winter as well? Yeah. Uh, but yet, yet I can't remember what happened years ago when I used to grow yeah. it. So I it should, should I struggled winter. to get it through. Oh, winter. that's interesting. Mine, mine usually died in winter. Yeah. The main okay. the main predator of mine was neighbourhood children, because once they discovered <laughs> oh. what it was, they would come up and just strip all the leaves off. You know? I, f- I find that this one's growing under a pear tree, which obviously will be dormant in winter, but it's in a sh- very sheltered place. I'll, I'll I'll report back on how it okay. survives. it survives. Yeah. Might live. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got a chili that lives straight through winter. 
It's oh. five foot high, five foot wide. So it's mine. Mm. It's taking over and it's covered in chilies at the moment. These beautiful, yes. um, uh, the thick-skinned chilies, not the thin-skinned. With the so. black seeds? Yes. Same yeah, one. Same one. It's a beautiful it's a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding mine is growing a bit too well just now. It is. I cut it back hard yesterday because and, and exposed so many chilies and I was looking at them thinking how on earth can I use that many chilies? I can't. Yeah, no, when you put but them out the front and <laughs> warn people that they're hot. hot. Hey, that's the really really hot one, right? Yes. Is that the no? No, or? It's, it's hot. Mine it's, is, mm. Mine's really hot. I put half. I put a half a, one of them in a batch of tomato sauce, mm. and it, you can taste the heat mm. really clearly right through the whole. I love sauce. my chili though. I'm yeah. very fond. and I and uh, Clive Larkman from the Chili Festival mm. gave it to me in here. Mm. I said, "Oh, I can't grow chilies through through winter. Mm. It's much too cold where mm. I am." He said, "Oh, yes, you can." And he was absolutely right. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing um hatch hatch chilies from New Mexico from uh, hatch? Which I, yeah hatch. Okay, I got them from okay. Dr. Peter May. If you guys know mm. Peter, obviously, mm. um, and they're like the 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 state dish of New Mexico. Fascinating, and they're, they're this weird mixture of mild and hot. I mean, there's something okay. in between. Um, what does the fruit look like? It's like a long capsicum, mm. um, but apparently the, the the question you always ask in any restaurant in New Mexico is you want red or, red or green. So because people wow. people have a preference between the green hatch and the it's a, it's a whole there's a chili uh, hatch chili institute. What? I know I never made it Breaking Bad. I'm surprised it wasn't a theme in an episode of. Breaking Bad, because apparently it's just this ubiquitous presence in in the in cuisine in New Mexico. And how big do the plants get? Nah, well, I mean, I mean, I've got some outdoors and I have some in tunnels, but they seem to be just a kind of standard capsicum size. They're not like plant. the big. They're more the. I mean, you know, you've got your annuals which can last for five years, more, but then you've got ones that are told, you know, said to be perennial. Chili. First year so growing them, so I'll find out. Yeah, I wonder what they're like. Well, ours are definitely perennial, but ours are. They're fleshy. They're almost Very like fleshy. a capsicum, aren't yeah. they? Have you dried Small. them? I haven't tried to dry them. Mm. They just Because I have them all year round. I don't need to dry them. No, oh, just, see, that so. would be my classification of more of the perennial chilies that they fruit <coughs> all year round, whereas those mm. other ones, it's you put them in and then the plant will last five or seven years, but they'll only fruit in summer. But then you get these. You, you're growing the more shrub-like ones, Virginia. And yes. Penny, is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Which I think is Manzano. Am I correct? No. Not no. Manzano? It starts okay. with R. Ricotto is, yes. the, oh, is Ricotto. its common name. Oh, and there is, but yeah. I think Manzano is a milder shrub one. Could I be. Because yeah, that's what I've got, know. a new plant I'm going to put in. Okay. I and think. Have you made chilli oil with no. this one? Because that's I was no. trying to work out the best way to make chilli oil with okay. it. Probably just using yeah. the seeds. Mm. Mm. Oh, can I mention Mediterranean herbs for shade for that previous herb person? That out of all the times, lemon thyme seems to cope yep. in semi-shade, in semi-shade. a lot better. Yep. So then you yep. get some sort of thyme plant. And pizza thyme too is not too bad in semi-shade. Whereas, like, as Benny said, the other ones, they just have yep. other Mediterranean type plants like regular thyme or orange thyme or Re- rosemary. Or regular thyme. Regular thyme. <laughs> <laughs> and chives. I find my chives will grow in, in semi-shade. Okay. Yeah, Ooh, I, do, I find garlic, only garlic, garlic chives. chives will grow anyway, yeah, but yeah. but not. I find my chive chives get. Well, it depends on how much shade, but I find they don't like it at all. Mm. It depends I was, on shade. I, I was thinking of the garlic, but garlic chives are doing very well. Well, I hope that was useful. We don't know who that call was from, but I mean that text was from. But I hope that was useful. 
Um, could I mention garlic? Can Please, I talk garlic for a minute. Absolutely. <laughs> Goodness, that's really unusual. That's really unusual for me. <laughs> I um, <clears throat> one of the best things in the world, garlic. <clears throat> it is. It's amazing stuff. Um, I on Monday did garlic judging again, which people always find that a bit of a strange thing to do, but we had um, for the Australian Garlic Industry Association. <clears throat> we had 32 different growers sent in their bulbs and um, so we stood there and tasted wow. tasted this garlic, 32, but we, we chew it, put it in our mouths and chew it, but we don't swallow it. So because the first time I did it, I thought, oh, yeah, I can, you know, this will be fine. <laughs> I felt dreadful for about three days afterwards because I'd swallowed it all. Um, it was but just you'd have no, much. you'd have no bugs though. Too Everything much. would for be a whole no, year. No, yeah. no bugs at all. <laughs> no, no COVID. No, all. sorry, that's sorry. That's a, don't yes. take that as gospel. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oops. <laughs> um, but well, the, the 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 reason why you don't catch things when you eat a lot of garlic is because people don't come as close to you. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, sorry, Penny, can I ask, do you have a, a palate cleanser in between Absolutely. each garlic? The, pa- the palate cleansers are lemon sorbet. This right. has taken us years to work. It's lemon sorbet blueberries. Mm. And John, who um, comes from down at Geelong, and he's the head of the Garlic Industry Association, he sourced these fabulous organic um, blueberries. And... Um, the other one is bread, so a, a good bread that you can sort of get into your mouth that helps you get some of the bits and pieces out Just of so it. when we're all doing yeah. our garlic tasting, yes. we can know what to have. We must have our lemon sorbet and lemon sorbet. on blueberries Lemon sorbet is what, you, what you have after the really hot garlic. Oh, yes, of course. Really hot. And it'd have to be good bread, good yes. brown bread, not nasty yes. white. No, no, mm. it, and it was well bread sticks, and it's sort of that open, so that you can get it in your mouth and really chew it up and collect all the bits that are left between your teeth. I mean, this is probably you don't really want to know all this. That's a lot of detail. But anyway, <laughs> it was it was it was really interesting because this has also been a difficult year for garlic. So it's been um, because of the rain, because of the rain and rain at odd times, times, and that does weird things to garlic. So there was quite a lot of side sprouting. So that is what happens when you get the outside skins of the cloves start growing and then suddenly you're getting shoots coming up in the middle of the of the pseudostems or around the pseudostem. Um, and, of course, that means you can still eat the garlic but you can't cure it properly because you have all this greenery in there and the cloves have, have started shooting. So it's not the central shoot in the clove but the skins start growing. And that happens when you get a sudden downpour in a at a particular growth stage so we haven't sort of been able to pin down what it is because it varies depending on which garlic from which group you're growing because it affects different groups differently but the um the answer to that one is to grow several different garlics so that they're um, maturing at different times and that means if you get one of these huge downpours or weird weather events which we're getting more and more of um it won't affect all of them. It might only affect one of them. Um, and you can still eat it as green garlic. So you don't, you know, as a home grower, you don't have to lose the garlic. It just means you can't cure it and keep it. Because green garlic is delicious. Green garlic is fabulous, mm. yes. So green garlic is can be freshly grown, you know, grown garlic. And it can be garlic um, 
The shoots. The shoots, the garlic sprouts. So you can pick, if you've got them sort of coming up in your garden and they're not where you want them to be, you can just dig them up and eat them. Mm. Um, so you can eat the garlic at all stages of growth and you can harvest the scapes and you can eat the bulbals that that you find in the, in the flower heads of some of them. Um, so... So yeah, so look, it was an interesting experience too because that was certainly what I found in my garden. My garlic didn't do it all well this year. So were you tasting between different varieties or much the same? Diff- var- no, different no, varieties? very different. So so garlic falls into a, about twelve different groups. I brought this along again. I said I found a photo of me in the in the, on the old um, on Facebook on for 3CR holding this up with my head sticking over the top of it. <laughs> But it's a it, look. It's a terrific thing. Because Re- repost it, that photo, Penny. Because it um, okay. It it was on the three CR Facebook, so I'm not sure that I can repost it. But anyway, I'll, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um. So so this tells you all the different groups. So you can get subtropical turban, artichoke, creole, silver skin, Asiatics. Glazed purple stripe, marbled purple stripe, standard purple stripe, porcelain, rocambole, and elephant garlic, which is not garlic. So I grow that amongst my roses. Yes, I grow it as a, just a survival plant in, in my garden. So Do you eat it at all? Yeah, yeah. I, it's not my favourite, but um, I particularly, I'll put the leaves in things. But yeah, I also have perennial leeks, which are not that dissimilar, so I use those as well. But... Um, so those are the groups, and within those groups you have all the cultivars. So we have more than 300 different garlics in Australia. Wow. So you need to um, explore. If you want to grow some interesting garlics, you need to explore it. And one of the best places you can go is the, um, the, um, a, is the AGIA, which is the Australian Garlic Industry Association website, which is garlicaustralia.asn for association, um, .au. So um, have a look at their website. They have a growing sellers page and you can buy all these interesting and they're divided into the groups um, and you can buy a lot of these interesting garlics through growers, um, you know, just by mail. You know, they'll post it Which to is you. the best way to That's do it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. But you it means... buy online like that. Yes, and, and a lot of them have their own sites and some of them do dried garlic or black garlic or a whole range of different things. So it's a really good central point. Yeah, it's a good resource. And with luck, in the next few days, they will actually have the results of the garlic um, competition because I have no idea who the, who, the, who the garlic belonged to and who's got gold medals and who's got silver medals and all of that. So um, the, my fellow judges and myself, we just tasted the garlic in the groups. And when you judge garlic, you take each one as it is you're not trying to compare it with the other ones that you've got there but you know in your head that a garlic should be a certain size so a turban for instance tend to be bigger bulbs Um, but we found everything was smaller this year so that was clear that this was a tricky year for for growers there wasn't as much fusarium which is a pretty nasty fungal disease that you can get in in garlic and you often don't know that it's there until you break the bulb open or until you start smelling it because it smells disgusting but early stage fusarium is hard to pick up Um, but there was there was a little bit there there was a bit of water damage sometimes on the inside of the bulbs but um, yeah, it was a, it was interesting to see to see the quality of the mm. of and, the and flavour wise, Penny. What, what are you... there were some fabulous flavours. So right. 
Um, and they vary dramatically. So the turbines tend to be, you tend to get a, a burst of heat to start yeah. off with and then not a huge amount afterwards. But they're lovely big cloves and they're, they're really nice to use in cooking. problem with turbines is that they only store for four or five months. So if you want garlic all year round, then you need to grow creoles as well. So creole group garlics um, ha have smaller bulbs and white skins. So commercial growers are not so enthusiastic about growing them, but they have these beautiful bright burgundy, red, pink cloves. Um, so they look fabulous. It's like sort of opening a, a, a Christmas present. Um, but they... Um, they will store for 12 months. So if you want garlic all year round, you should at least grow turbans and creoles. But, but then you have you know, all the other ones. In the colder climates, you can grow things like rocambole and the marbled purple stripe and the standard purple stripe. Standard purple stripes, you can get really big bulbs and big cloves, um, but they can be a little bit harder to grow. Speaking, speaking of colder climates, I'm growing um, Siberian chives. Yep. They're doing really well. I have no idea where I got them from. Maybe Green Harvest, that sadly is diggers closed. Had them, diggers Maybe. had them for sale yeah. for a while. I don't think it was Diggers. I, but, but, diggers. I mean, I, I think they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah pretty they're prolific. really nice. And yeah. they're a nice plant too. They have lovely lovely flowers. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so there's a lot of diversity in the chives. So, chives. Si Siberian yes. chives. How yeah. could describe this plant? Um, I've heard of them, but I've never grown uh, them. It's like a stiffer Chinese chive or garlic chive. And so I had, I have some in a bowl that someone said, "Oh, is that is that daffodils? Like tiny little? They've got oh. that sort of um, habit." Yeah. Um, they sound beautiful. Yeah, they're good. Certainly better than Siberian tomatoes. That's another story. But uh, we tried. To <laughs> have you anyway? I don't know whether you guys ever have seen Eden seeds. We're selling the Siberian. I don't. I've never grown it. The no, idea was the idea it. was that it was it, you know it could ripen into very cold weather. I don't think. I mean, maybe Melbourne's too hot actually. But anyway, that was a massive digression. So. <laughs> yes. there, are, there are certainly <laughs> yeah. cultivars that do well and mm. will cope better with colder weather. But right. Yes. Of chives. In, well, no, in the tomato world. Oh, tomato. So we seem yes. to have moved mm. to tomatoes. Actually, can I mention one that I came across mm. yesterday? At, I was uh, doing a seed saving class for a community group and the, um, the council person who organised it, Danielle, brought along some mini Amish. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so that I had the tomato book with me, of course, to show people your lovely section on fermenting tomato seeds for saving them because I wanted to impress that upon people. And I looked up, um, I didn't, I wasn't, mini I've never Amish. grown Amish place, so I looked up yeah. mini Amish and I found that it, uh, it was uh, 60 days to ripen. Mm. Wow. So no wonder she's got so many fruit. Because it's one that will do well in a short season. Yeah, so, well, it's yeah. A, it's another small one. So it's a, if you want, if you've anyway. got a difficult season, you grow cherry tomatoes, and cherry tomatoes can be pear shaped and round, and you know, as you as you know. Um, yeah. But it's a, that's a quick one. Yes, sixty days. Yeah, 60 oh, days. Nice and tasty. Can yeah. I loop back quickly to my mention of Apollo tomatoes before? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I know they're not. No, it's just it's, it's, yeah, no, I'm a big tomato grower. It, I mean, I don't grow big tomatoes. It's just that years ago that you know they used to get you talked about as an early early season one, and I just always found them pretty um, pretty hopeless. But so, like I say, this year they're doing it's doing pretty well. What's the flavour like? Nice, good, and yeah. but I'm very much I've always been in that school of thought of taking them off the off the plant mm. as soon as there's a flush of pink. Mm. So none of these have ripened on the bush, but you know the flavour you know it's tangy, it's um, not mushy for sure, mm. definitely. Which mm. is um, yeah, no, I think Apollo's pretty good. Okay. 
pretty good tomato. Um, early Annie is a, is another one that is oh, is good for both the early of the season and the, and late in the season. Someone showed me a photo yesterday. It looked and I couldn't. I was thinking, I know what that is, and mm. she said it just came up in her garden and it looked just like early Annie mm. anyway because you get this little you, know, you get these little clusters where you've got mm. them everywhere between green and red and they're yep. just sitting nicely on the plant, nice medium-sized yeah. fruit. Yeah, they're sort of that size rather than yeah. cherry. Stu Peach, yeah, that's, that's yes. a classic one that a lot of nurseries sell. That's an early ripening one. And Is you're it? talking about how to dry, how to treat the seeds if you want to reuse your tomato seeds. Uh, yes. Well, um, the the when with with tomatoes, if you want to reuse them, you need to give some thought to whether you want your tomatoes to be early season, mid season or late season. So if you want early season tomatoes, you need to collect the seed from your early tomatoes. And if you want mid season tomatoes, you need to collect the seeds from your, the ones that ripen in the middle mm. and, and late season. Otherwise, um, yeah, so, so don't leave it all till the end of the end of the year to collect your seed, collect it as you're going. You can just harvest seed and scoop it out of the tomato and put it on a plate or put it on a bit of paper or and dry them. So that's the simplest way of doing it. But tomatoes carry quite a bit of disease and the, and they also have this um, hardness around the around the actual seed. Um, and so one really good way of doing it is is by fermenting them. So you put them in water, put it in a spot out of sunlight. And you leave them for three days. So no longer than three days, otherwise they will over over ferment. And done that. <laughs> and if you if you stir them, the good seed will fall to, fall to the bottom and all the rubbish will stay floating on the top. So you, you scoop off the top, you strain out the seeds and you dry them the way you you want to dry them. So either on a plate or on paper or whatever and then Put them somewhere and label them so that you know what they are. <laughs> Labeling the most you important thing. Label them right at the beginning yeah. when you. But as Karen says, there's a really, really good photographs and a description in the, in our book, which is still for sale. But I need to. Can, I, I can say this, can't I? Um, you can only buy our book from us now, because we no longer have a distributor. So if you if you want a copy of Tomato. Um, which I sell for sixty dollars. I think 60, you sell it for sixty. With some seeds. Um, you just go, just go to either of our websites. So, Karen, your website edibleeden.com.au, and mine's pennywoodwood.com.au. Hang on, Karen, you have the bonus seeds. Not that I'm trying to create a competition, <laughs> but, <laughs> but hang on, did I just hear that correctly? Yes. Though, yeah. yeah. Yes. But then you get Penny's signature, or you get mine. So you know, there's a different value there. <laughs> And we really don't mind who you buy it from. No, we don't care. <coughs> but you can't get them in bookshops anymore because they're not being distributed into mm. bookshops. Uh, Diggers has them as well. Series Bookshop has them. Okay, good. Yes, so a couple of book places. Because they're a couple of our best customers. <laughs> yes. Well, and they're so useful. Well, yeah. You know, because yeah, they they're are. local. I mean, yeah. this is the thing. Mm, you, yeah. you read wonderful gardening books that come out of England, but... yeah. And, it's and so the tomatoes in, to use in their the UK advice. are just totally different. Yes. And tomatoes in America are totally different. Mm. They have different cultivars. Mm. You know, it's a totally different scene. Whereas, you know, and even growing tomatoes in Sydney is <coughs> quite a different experience because yes. they're so but we, hot and humid. We have written for all climates. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I've, got, I've got my Sydney interview, yes. my Tasmanian yeah. interview. Yes. <laughs> Karen did all of that. Et she did a really good job. And it's got the it's best <laughs> pest and diseases thing in it that I have seen anywhere. 
happy for tomatoes. Excellent. Yeah. And lots of delicious recipes. Excellent. Oh. I must get a copy for my daughter, Sylvie. Well, it frequently comes up in, it frequently gets donated to the um, 3CR fundraising. Yes. And speaking of fundraising, it is our subscriber drive for 3CR. So we really need people to support 3CR. So this month we are really encouraging people to renew their subscription so that they can champion community-owned radio. So it's a way of showing that you care about our show, that you care about the radio station because it's gardening, all sorts of music, community languages, current affairs, all sorts of things on this station. So if you could subscribe, we would be really appreciative. And for people who subscribe today, we have got some seaweed solution, some power feed, and six books. The Gardener's Guide to Growing Clematis, The Gardener's Guide to Growing Hardy Geraniums, Name That Flower, My Forest, Growing Easy Herbs for Beauty and Fragrance and Flavour by Penny Woodward, and Green Pens, a collection of garden writings which was put together by some academics at La Trobe University. So if, if you ring in and subscribe, you will be offered one of these books, but they, this is for picking up. It is actually too difficult for us to send them out, although I could take anything to the Yarra Valley if somebody wanted me to do that. We could also do Hurstbridge if anyone was in Hurstbridge. Northern suburbs. Northern suburbs. No. So if you ring in and subscribe today, you will get a book and leave us your address so we can see if we can deliver it to you or if you can pick it up from one of our addresses. We can obviously phone you. So ring in if you are interested. The phone number is 94190155. And we do want you to subscribe to our rather wonderful radio station because it'll keep it going. And that's a really worthwhile thing. And it has managed to keep going for a very long time. And Virginia Green Pens, just a quick plug for that. I mean, just to say that that's a fantastic anthology. If you want to just go back in time and just see how strong the gardening culture has been in in Melbourne um, for well over 100 years. I I think it has old articles from other capitals as well, but... Um, it, it's, I often dip into that book. Do you? Yeah, just to see what people were writing about veggie gardens in 1900 or, yeah. It's, I've never it's, even seen it, so no, I'm really intrigued now. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've got a copy because I, I know one of the writers and I always thought it was a fabulous book, but I didn't know if I was being biased. <laughs> so that's a very good no, recommendation. No, I, rec- I do recommend. Very good recommendation. Taking note. <laughs> so... This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia, and with me are Penny, Karen and Chris. If you wish to ring in, 94190155, or you can text us on 0488 809 855. Vicky and Peter have texted in from Notting Hill to say that a tree came down on them. It was particularly bad on that eastern side Mm. of Melbourne, I think. Yep. Uh, really quite difficult for people. So and into Gippsland. Yes. Um, you know, there's been some terrible, terrible tree trees coming off and you know, just awful. And on line one we have a call. Oh dear. 
no, I've just gone and lost it. That was really silly of me. I'm sure she'll ring back. It was Pam from the Dahlia Society. She was going to tell us about the Dahlia Fair that's coming up, which is ridiculous of me, but... Uh, that's all right. With a new system, it's always hard to yes. get used to it, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah. It is extremely silly. Nevertheless... So I'm just... The, well, I'll get off garlic, I promise. This is, a, is another publication which um, I don't have, but um, Letitia down at Tasmanian Gourmet Garlic puts these out. And this is all the garlic things wrong with garlic, garlic diseases. So there were a lot of bacterial diseases this year. I'm looking at a horror show right yeah, now, folks. Well, I mean, people think that because they grow garlic well in their gardens that it's easy to grow garlic as a crop, but it actually isn't because it is so um, uh, affected by the weather. You know, it is... And if you get rain at the wrong time, you know, it, it, it has no flexibility. So these are all the different pests and diseases. And the name, I would like this... This Any one is called this? Garlic Guide Pests and Diseases, Volume 1. <laughs> She's working on Volume 2 at the moment. <laughs> that is funny, Volume 1. Ten volumes. series. it's from Tasmanian series. Gourmet Garlic. So if you, if you Google Tasmanian Gourmet Garlic and just go to their, where, the books, you'll find this one and the Garlic Guide. So I do have some garlic guides for the culinary culture and climate, which was the other one that I was holding up before. And that's I sell them through my website <laughs> which as well. Is? which is pennywoodwood.com.au. But this one I don't have anymore. I sold out of those ones because nobody else has done pests and diseases in the way, that, in the way that's been done by Tasmanian Gourmet. So give us Tasmanian Gourmet, gourmet garlic. garlic. Yep. So you will find it. So that's definitely worth looking at, having people. a look. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. If worth. you're a serious garlic grower, it's well worth having. Yeah. And Chris, before you were yep. saying you had been growing... Some cassava. cassava, that's right. So, um, you know, I, I try and grow a whole range of edibles. I'm very interested. You know, I call it my novel crops project. Um, and, uh, you know, cassava is a really interesting, tropical, significant, you know, global staple. Um, but it, re it grows optimally between 30 degrees and 40 degrees. <laughs> according to my uh, brilliant colleague, Rebecca Miller, who worked with cassava in Mozambique. So... Um, so yes, a bit marginal for Melbourne. However, you know, in a in a hot summer, you'll get a good leaf production and a few decent uh, edible roots because that's what you eat is the big starchy roots. But for me, you know, a, a lot of what I'm trying to do is to show different communities that live in this very diverse multicultural city that you know it's possible to grow the things that they miss, um, or, or in fact they're already doing it. People have a go, obviously. Um, but cassava is one that I'm fascinated by because so many people do miss it who live here. <coughs> Excuse me. So everyone from South America, Brazilians, Colombians, Ecuadorians, you name it, often um, miss yucca, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Lots of people from Africa and Asia also like it. So to me, it's worth having a go at it, right? Um, Excuse me for two yep. seconds. Not to be confused with yucca. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. <clears throat> Although you can eat the flowers of yucca, interestingly enough. Um, so, But the point is some uh, people love eating the leaves of the kind of spinach, so that's definitely a sort of seasonal thing you could do in Melbourne. So um, it's a very beautiful plant as well. However, you know, the caveat is that it's full of cyanide, so you have to cook it, which immediately puts off 99% of all your listeners. However, for, for me, again, just to emphasise, the fascinating thing is how many different uh, cultures and groups in Melbourne from all parts of the world, it's something that they just long for. 
And a few times I've, with, even just with the leaves, even though that's not the most significant crop, if you talk to people from the Philippines or Indonesia or from parts of West Africa and they discover that you or someone else has a plant growing and there's some abundant leaf production in, in summer, as they've described to me, they will drive from Deer Park to Ferntree Gully or to, you know, they will travel the city. And I did that once with uh, a woman from the Philippines and she just bagged up so many leaves and just went back to the family they just had this massive sort of they cook it like a spinach like a so yeah it's exciting but but yeah to grow it outdoors you need a hot summer for it to be really productive can i just ask about because i've never grown it or cooked it can i ask is it like some other leafy greens like leaf amaranth or something do you have to boil it to remove extra oxalates or anything from the leaves before you eat it like boil it and then drain the water or you just or you literally just steam it up and cook it you know, meaning to, in other words, it. you have to change the water effectively. As yeah, in, do you have to um, remove anything I, from the leaves? Not really. I mean, it, it seems as long as you as long as you boil it hard, is what they do. There's no problem. I mean, so you do boil it, not just. Oh no, no, no! Um, it has to be, to not blanch. So to, no, no, you yeah. boil. You boil. Although so it's like again, amaranth. Then yeah, I, actually, I didn't know that about amaranth. But yeah. interestingly, of course, um, we were talking about potatoes earlier. But um, where we was that off? off <laughs> I can't remember. But. Um, Cassava are like a, so many global crops now. It's from South America originally, although it's from mm. northeast Brazil where it's steamy and hot. But there are, you know, it, it kind of went all over the world 500 years ago in the great so-called Great Columbian Exchange. Um, but there's lots of varieties now. So some are actually low cyanide. So the the so you could probably do that, mm. just, just not cook it so hard. But Africa has a high proportion of high cyanide crops because they're pest resistant or cultivars, I should say. So... Again, that's, this is very but, – but, but even though it's not a very sort of Anglo, as it were, thing, that, of course, tapioca. That's a thought, though, isn't it? Mm. You have a lot of cyanide in it to yep. make it pest resistant. Yep. That's, yep. And then yep. you just boil it. That's why you need your academic to um, tell you this. <laughs> well, I mean, there's lots, no, lots, of, things that, lots of things that are kind of toxic, though. So yeah. question, yep. will, it, yeah, will it survive through the winter if it's cold? No. So no. that's that's where I so say this is the most marginal of the things that I, I'm Why growing. Why I was asking that yeah. was I was thinking of her farm, which gets very hot in summer, but I presume oh, you get but pretty In the cold. greenhouse in winter Sure. So here's, here's yeah. something that's very interesting is that, um, you know, Rebecca and I, Dr. Miller and I, got some really interesting varieties of cassava from Monash, and they were keeping them in, in – um, they were doing research. They were keeping them in a heated glasshouse all winter where they were being attacked by spider mites, the whole thing was... But, you know, what I said to them, which is what we do, is, no, that the reason that's a very important global staple is because they're so drought-tolerant. So to get them through winter, you just drought them. In a, like in dahlias a, or something. Exactly. It's the same treatment. And they're unbelievable. If you watch a, even a YouTube mm. video in, in Africa, for example, sub-Saharan Africa, you'll see people taking cuttings because that's how you grow them. You strike from cuttings. And they'll just take massive cuttings and leave them under a shrub for months. And then when when the like season's a about to, or something. yeah, and just show, and I, so certainly in a giant pot in a tunnel that I have at Burnley, I just deprive them of any water for about six months, and I'll get through winter, even though the tunnel can get quite cold. Um, but I tried, I think last season, I just took some cuttings and left them lying around the tunnel, and sure enough, they were fine. Wow! But but in the ground, they're absolutely hopeless. So unlike a sweet potato or a lot of yams and other things I grow, which will. M- Often, depending on the variety, re-sprout. So over winter, especially in a free-draining soil, cassava is no, won't happen. It's got to be in a tunnel. And do you, do you like the taste? I do. Mm. So you know, I frequently sort of t- 
taste test these things with people and see what because I, I have a well, let's call it a confirmation bias because I'm interested in these plants I just will automatically find them interesting and delicious so yeah they actually came out I have a um, a colleague who really rates uh, you know, loves sweet potato loves starchy stuff but she really liked the cassava chips well I've just found I don't even know how they got there some Gluten-free biscuits ended up in our household over Christmas and we had all the different family visiting from overseas. My niece reckons she didn't bring them. But anyway, they're um, from Mal- uh, Indonesia or Malaysia. I think they're Indonesian biscuits and they're cassava biscuits. And I have gone crazy for these to the point where I then um, rang up the um, distributor and ordered bulk amounts online. <laughs> <laughs> so I've suddenly... Um, um, got a love for cassava so, even though I had it's so I, delicious exactly and I just mentioned before tapioca that is cassava flour right originally I, have to, yes. should, I need to check yes is tapioca cassava. is cassava flour oh, so okay I didn't realize that yeah so oh, I, I mean, love tapioca as well yep. so question sure do you grow um what am I trying to think of canners do you grow the edible yes, canner I do and what's that like to eat um it's it's not my favorite Interesting enough, it's extremely digestible. Um, it's certainly sort of innocuous. Um, if you if you boil it for hour, it, it creates a sort of delicious gloopy porridge if you chop it up and like mash taro it. or something. Yeah, no taro's taro's mm. no. I rate taro. Taro's yeah, okay. up there. Um, but as the gloop comparatively with gloop. Oh, uh, yeah. About the, sorry, exactly about the same. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one of those when, when you get into this into this sort of diverse crops thing. I think that you get a bit excited about canning because they're so easy to grow. But I've, it, I've got it. I've never ever cooked it, and I've got so much of the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it's worth it's worth having. Uh, there was I, I saw you know YouTube such a wonderful resource. I, I saw it. There was a couple in Bundaberg. I'm going to say who were growing all this stuff. I think they were Norma and John or something. And so, um, but they did a fantastic video on eating canner. Um, and they were really into oh, it. Let's check it out because yeah, I've sorry, really I can't, gone yeah. past frying. You know, like I no, tried baking it, or frying. I was like, oh, no, there's, be, there's better. There's better tubers to eat than uh, than canna. But so as a survival you, food, sure. So how do you? What's your favourite way of eating it then? Canna. Oh, it's been so long. I, I think just kind of as a mash. Okay. Yeah. yeah as well, a I mash. haven't tried it like that, so I'll try. It. Yeah. Mm. But are you growing it? Yeah, I've always got it growing. Yeah. Yes, I've got it growing, but I don't ever eat it. Well, like but, I've tried it that once. We, I tried, you know, slicing and baking or slicing and frying and, you know, it's like, oh, it's okay. Yes, it's not <laughs> interesting but, enough, but, but is just, it? But just to, um, so people don't think that we're all mad or, or that I'm mad, I mean, Canada, it was a serious um, crop in Queensland for about 30 years for, uh, for uh, arrowroot flour. So traditionally, arrowroot biscuits were made from maranta flour, so which is the genus that produces a lot of indoor plants, and they're really delicious little tiny little tubers, very sweet. But because canna's so prolific, they were grown um, to create flour uh, for arrowroot biscuits, and that that industry has sort of died off, I think, completely. However, the main it's again another South American plant. You know, we have so much we we owe to the Aztecs and the Incas and all the rest. But the main uh, centre for production of canna now for cellophane noodles is Vietnam. Huge industry. For cellophane noodles? Yeah. That comes from canna? You, you'll never see it. It's difficult. I've been through so many shops trying to see what the ingredients are and it'll always say rice or something else. But, mm. but in actual fact, I, I've got to get to the bottom of this. Um, it's very non-rice-like when you eat them. <laughs> tr- correct. So, um, and when you yep. go and buy arrowroot flour, what is the basis of that? Because uh, you can buy that. 
for thickening. Yeah, you've got to be because it's a bit like corn flour, which is still wheat, right? Yeah. Because the word corn mm. just meant meant just no, cereal. You can buy you can, corn, you corn, can flour. Right, corn, corn right. flour. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, true. But gluten-free people have to look for this. Right, exactly. No, that's what I mean. Because the word <laughs> yeah. corn in English just meant cereal mm. crop mm. once upon a time. So sweet corn is just sweet mm. edible grass. Um, so, uh, yeah, possibly. I'm not sure. So, uh, true arrowroot flour will either be canna or maranta. Right. Very interesting. Well, it is, it is a good thickener in, um, I mean, if you're Arrowroot's making... Arrowroot's a fabulous thickener. Yeah, if you're making up your own gluten-free flour mixes, you kind of have to have, you know, one of the binding flours with it if you're just making up a pancake or something. And so arrowroot's like something that you use often. Oh, I must tell my daughter but I've, that. But I've I never made the that. flour. So have you ever made the flour? I've... I nearly bought a uh, you know mill thing, which didn't happen. Um, but the, you, you can because it actually has massive starch grains, can it? The largest of all the known crops, right? So it's actually relatively easy to do. To make just, the flour, yeah, just to let it all settle. Okay, I've never looked a, into it. There's yeah. a job getting, for you yeah. too to sort out. Let's, let's do it, Karen. <laughs> Get together and have a that's, can a day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, just making flour day. Yeah, I think that's yeah. excellent. I now am going to successfully, of course, speak to Pam from the Dahlia Society. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Virginia. Sorry about that. I just um, no blew you apart before, quite unintentionally. <laughs> I didn't know whether to ring back or yeah, I know. hold on. Or <laughs> I know, it's always a bit difficult. I persisted. Yes, good on you. <laughs> So it's next that was very interesting, your conversation there, because dahlias have become, um, they're, they're a tuber that people are trying to eat. So they're safe to eat, first thing? Yes, they're very safe to eat. They're sweet. And again, another, another plant from South America, actually from Central America, because they're from Mexico and Costa Rica. Now, Costa Rica is one of the best places I've ever travelled. I didn't really? see any dahlias, but then I wasn't looking. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been the wrong time of I, year. I think you would find that they're very different from the dahlia that we are used to seeing. Yes, well, A some very of... innocuous little single flowered, eight-petaled... Like, um, like a tree dahlia? Like a... Did you see any... Oh, hang on. Who went to Costa Rica? You did, Virginia. I went to Costa Rica. Did you see any tree dahlias? Not that I noticed, but yeah. that's... Would have okay. been lack of expectation. I probably saw oh, one and didn't think. Oh, oh that's I a think they're day. from the highlands of Central America. Yes, in the highlands. Yes. It would be. Yeah. We were in the highlands. Sylvia and I. We drove all over Costa Rica. It's mm. the most wonderful place. How fantastic! Yeah. I'll have to go back looking for dahlias. Well, you know, um, two years ago we had our national conference, which is um, held in in June every year, and it was in Canberra. And the ambassador of Costa Rica was a very keen gardener and, and loved dahlias, and he was invited to open our conference. And he extended this uh, invitation to um, the Dahlia Society to come and visit him in Costa Rica. We, we haven't taken him up because COVID interfered with everyone's travel <laughs> Just a little bit, yes. Yeah, oh, what a great a connection bit. to have made. That's yes. We need more ambassadors to come to our uh, conferences, whatever we're into. Yeah, he was a love. He was very articulate, you know, and very passionate about his country's flora. And they were about to publish um, a hundred and fifty 
year celebration, I think, whether it was Independence or something. I think you were uh, going to say Dahlia's. <laughs> and, and Dahlia's figured in that, um, oh. in that book. So, yeah, so there we go. And and there's been this groundswell of interest in 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 the tuber as an edible source because uh, it produces so many tubers. Like you're saying about the canna, you know, it's very bountiful. <laughs> you dig it up in the end of the season, and uh, that one tuber that you planted, there might be ten or even twenty. Well, I planted I planted a whole lot from. Long acres, and I put them into my vegetable garden because I didn't know what colour they were going to be. Yes. And years later, I'm still taking them out of my vegetable mm. garden. Oh. <laughs> I haven't succeeded in removing them all. I mean, oh. they're beautiful, so I don't mind. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So tell us about the show. The show is an amazing event. It's, it brings together um, so many people, you know, that bring along their flowers to to exhibit, and so it's uh, on the third weekend of February always, and it's held over the two days. Uh, Friday, you see this incredible frenetic uh, activity at Mount Waverley Community Centre in Mount Waverley, where we're setting up all the benches and, and getting ready for two days of show. And, of course, the Mount Waverley Community Centre is right on the railway line, so it's extremely it's easy great, to get to. Yes, great spot for people that can't drive but, um, or prefer to train. <laughs> but it, it's a fabulous event. So the Saturday morning, uh, it doesn't open until 1 o'clock because the Saturday morning is taken up with our judges um, inspecting in very fine detail these blooms and choosing the best so it's a great opportunity for the public to come and and see really the prime of um exhibition dahlias it's spectacular so it runs from midday or one o'clock one one o'clock on saturday through to five and then on sunday from 10 a.m to 3 30 till 3 30 excellent could you confirm the dates again it's yes, Saturday the twenty fourth of February. So it's next Sunday weekend. Yeah, next yeah. weekend, Pam. Yeah. Next weekend, yes. And we have photography. We have um, masses of beautiful potted plants. When you spy something that you really love, you might be able to um, buy it there. And of course, cut flowers and Devonshire tea. You can't have a show without Devonshire tea. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, that sounds absolutely excellent, Pam. Thank you very much for ringing in. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, well, that sounds... I mean, dahlias seem to have come back into fashion, which They're is... really popular. Which is they? fantastic, yeah. yes. Yeah, I know, I know people who a few years ago were, you know, really on the very... Ex- not extreme, that's not the right word, but native-only side of the equation of horticulture... Suddenly they're into dahlias. It's yeah. what's happening. I, I, mean, I was just yeah. looking up when the um, the local dahlia show is up at Shepparton because I went last year and it was really good fun. So I'm going to go on the 3rd and 4th of March for those right. in the Golden Valley. I've got to say the tuber-wise, they're obviously in the Asteraceae, the daisy family, so they probably have the Jerusalem artichoke 
effect, if you know what I'm talking All about. Right. <laughs> so just, just a warning to listeners. It's inulin, not normal. It's a different form of sugar. So uh, it's, it's going to... Is there a lot of inulin in Jerusalem? Yes. yes. Artichokes. But, yeah. not, but Yarkon, Yarkon seem okay. True. Yeah. That's but I the, haven't eaten day, is it? You haven't eaten day? I tried to eat the gigantic tube of a Mexican tree day. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like the, um, and it was like essentially like a giant pine log. So the, if you're going to eat dahlias, don't eat the tuba of a Mexican tree dahlia because they're so huge. They, I mean, they get football size and they get a bit woody. So that was a. They get very woody because I yeah. dug up a lot of them. They they pop up in my compost all the time because I've got a tree dahlia behind it. Yeah. And they're always popping up in the compost and then I leave mm. them there and I pull it out and it's, it's like I, I dry it and save it for the fire. And I think also, um, I, was, I was thinking when she was saying, talking about the dahlia judging, I was thinking about Penny's garlic judging and thinking of oh, all, well, you know, maybe maybe in the future the Dahlia shows will be also tasting the uh, tubers and or, checking out the petals or, and, you know, giving or, them or maybe Yeah, maybe com- competitive <laughs> growing of everything is coming back yes, in horticulture. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. kind of died out, right? But once upon a time, I mean, I found an old article in Trove of my great-grandfather at the Malvern Horticultural Society running all these competitions for judging you know, mm. the flowers that we wouldn't even... Th- I mean, you know. Gorgeous. Yeah. So maybe it's salvia <laughs> judging. And well, I think I think we need you to check in Green Pens, a collection of garden yes. writing, which is one of the ones that's available <laughs> for somebody who <clears throat> subscribes to the show today. Yeah. I think you should check in there and see... Nope, it's gone. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. You you talked it up, Chris, and yeah, yeah, there you go. So that book's gone. But anyway, Chris, you can check and see if they've got anything about growing, eating, canners or dahlias in there. Will do. And can, can I just mention that my grandfather used to grow prize-winning dahlias in, in the competitive flower-growing days many years ago, but, but the large dinner plate ones, which don't seem to have come back. You know, the, they call them dinner plate, but they, they've got those massive flowers, like massive sunflowers. They will, and this will be ground zero for why they come back. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, we've got John Bentley on the phone. So, good morning, John. Oh, good morning, everyone. They've got a huge crowd in there today. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, they're just, they're just um, noisy, large John. presences. <laughs> we talk uh, a lot. <laughs> I, I just wonder if I could mention the next meeting, the March meeting of the Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden, please. Of course you can, John. Okay. We have one of our uh, corporate members and the sponsor of the Bush Foods Garden speaking on Kwandongs and how to grow them, and that happens to be Karen Sutherland. I was thinking, should I mention that I'm doing that talk? And I thought, well, he hasn't confirmed, so I better not mention it yet. <laughs> Thanks, John. I take it that I'm doing that one now. Are, <laughs> That's good. I, That's I good. did send an email, but it takes a while oh, for us to get round to lost in the ether. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be so fun. If, if people, you don't have to book. You just have to come along to um, the Bridge Road Community Centre in Strathtulla, which is sort of Melton South-ish area. Um, the details are on the Facebook site. That's www.fmbg.org.au. Or if people are, would like to talk to me, it's nine seven four three three eight one nine. Give, and just leave give the number again, John. Nine seven four three three eight one nine. Excellent. Thank you very much for ringing in, John. 
And I just mentioned that I am looking for species dahlias <laughs> for the new Californian Central and South American garden that we're planting into in the Melton Botanic Garden. So that's an, an exciting development area that we've done a lot of planting, but it's an area that's um, 55 metres by 75 mm. metres and raises up to about six metres off the ground. Brilliant. Wow, sounds fantastic. So it, it looks really good. So, yeah, so I would encourage people to come and visit and the Californian plants usually put on their best display around about autumn time. Excellent. All right. And were you badly damaged by the storm? Uh, Yes, we had about 15 to 20 trees across the garden blown down. Oh, no. The the path that they've taken looks like we had a mini tornado through through a section, so I was cleaning up some of those on Thursday morning where they were blocking roads and... They weren't too big because we had to get council in to um, uh, remove the large ones. We're not allowed to use chainsaws, so it was hand saws and reciprocating saws. So we've cleaned up some of the paths that, so we can walk around and drive around. Were you able and to write some of them, Put just put them back into the ground? No, nah, these, these are 40-year-old trees. Some of them. Oh, that's terrible. And a, a few, some of the old river red gums that you know, a um, mm. couple of limbs might have snapped off. Here and there, a hundred-year-old grey box lost a big limb, um, and some of the a, a few of the younger plants. But on the whole, they've stayed up. The tree dahlia uh, copped a bit of a whacking um, in a Californian bed that we've got. So, uh, but they don't like a lot of wind and a lot of sun. But in Milton, they we they get everything thrown at them. <laughs> There's no escaping the wind, are we? <laughs> so, 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 if you want to see what's tough. That's another reason to come to Milton. <laughs> Very good garden to visit people. Yes. Yes. It's a yes. fabulous, fabulous garden. garden. An amazing community of volunteers too. Mm. Yeah, it's a great group of people. Uh, and it's a real sense of pride for the Milton community as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Thank you very okay. much. All right, lovely. And all the best, everyone. Thanks. Hey. Thanks, John. Okay, bye. And John is a very hard-working volunteer, can I say? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's an extraordinary... It's a fabulous garden, that Melton. Oh, it's amazing. So yeah, what's the date done. that you're talking? Uh, March the 13th. And I think it's. I think the talk's going to be around 7.30, but you can check that on the Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden website. website. So I'll be um, kind of going through the trials and tribulations of trying to grow Kwondongs, you know, the failures, and then the final successes... <laughs> oh, of germinating the seed, Karen, you mean? No, oh, no, 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 that's the next stage. Right. <laughs> no, just actually getting the plant to live and then fruit, getting fruit to eat. Very exciting. Yeah, I've, I've seen them in the in the bush before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, you know. But sometimes they're, prolific, they're right? That, well, oh, yeah, they can be. I mean, in their, you know. Right. But they're semi-parasitic, so that makes ah, them really difficult like to get established. Like a sandalwood established. thing, like, yeah. they're, they're related to a sandalwood. Got it. So, yeah. Yes. So the semi-parasitic is the difficult thing. That's what's difficult, yeah. So yeah. what do they? What are they parasitic on? Well, you can try them on different things. Um, in in the country, I've got them on old man saltbush. They seem to like that, mm-hmm. and they also like the protection of the old man saltbush. Okay. And also, they've definitely there's one that's definitely attached to an old yellow box because okay. it's going along the root area. Mm-hmm. But in Melbourne, oh, they are often sold. Um, with a poet, it's a tussock grass, okay. Poa labellardaria, diarii, and I've got that one in Melbourne. Poa lab. Poa lab, yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, then um, also I 
heard from one of the series nursery stuff years ago that they said that the grower of the plants, um, Matthew Coop actually, that's where I got mine from as well, and series sells his plants, says that they're quite good with olives. So I planted mine between an old man's bush and an olive and it, and it, it's mm, living in okay. Melbourne and it's flowered for the first time in Melbourne. So, I mean, that's really rare because it's way out of its comfort mm. zone. We're, I mean, there's probably populations everywhere, but south of um, West Wyalong in New South Wales is where there's a little beautiful little state forest that's more or less a nature reserve now where it was the dom- – um, Kwandong, rather, was the dominant – mid-story plant oh, how beautiful. everywhere wow. like more prolific mm, than acacias mm. so wow. that was grey box probably grey box that, that john just mentioned so eucalyptus microcarpa and maybe mm. a little bit of scattering of yellow box perhaps mm. but mm. yeah it's been a while since i've been there so um what they grow on into the wild is not necessarily what you're able to right. i mean in this you know in you can't always have an established grey box i mean i just happened to have the yellow box on the farm but right. a big one an old really old one but yeah, it's quite. Co- they also used to sell them attached to or grown in the pot with um, Myopurum parvifolium or Flora. I always forget which one that is. Parvifolia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, then that one. I've that got ground heaps cover. of that. That's so easy to grow. Yeah, that, but the only thing I didn't like about it attaching to that is that I find that a bit short lived. So the tussock grass seemed to be longer lived, and I'm too superstitious to remove the tussock grass from where my quandong is now, even though it's kind of getting a bit in the way. But I'm thinking, no, just leave it all there. Anyway, it's just. You know, they're, they're fussy little things. It, yes, in the wild, they're fine. But, um, yeah. yeah. So next next stage, I've got some seed and I'm going to try the whole... I have tried germinating in the past as well, but it wasn't successful. But I figure now they're growing and fruiting and flowering, even in Melbourne, I, I feel more confident mm. with the whole Kwandong friend situation. <laughs> so that is Karen Sutherland who's talking to you about Kwandong there and she's discussing this with Chris... And Penny Woodward, and I'm Virginia Haywood. This is the 3CR Garden Show. Oh dear, my screen has just disappeared. Chris, you've got some great plants there that um, we haven't talked about. Yeah, I've been wondering when he's going to bring those out. Oh, okay. So, can we first? We have a a call for you, Chris, from Mari. So, if we could say hello to Mari from Reservoir. Hello, Chris. Look, I just wanted to thank you so much for talking about yucca. I've got a few Colombian friends and they really love yucca and look for it around Australia. And in Colombia, I've been there a few times and there are songs about yucca. That it, on the New Year's Eve, they have an incredible stew which is full of yucca. They fry it, they grill it. And I've always been looking for a translation. Cassava was the closest I could get. And, um, yeah, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it. When you said it's not the same as yucca, that clarified things for me as well because I often wonder when people say yucca if they're talking about yucca. But in the Caribbean and, you know, around certainly Colombia and I know Cuba as well, it's absolute and people really appreciate it and need it all the time. So it's great to hear you talking about it. It's a pleasure, Murray. Yes, I think if we could uh, start producing it in, in Australia or even if it was grown up yeah. north and brought down, it would be a, actually be a pretty more than just a niche market. It would be, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it'd be very popular. My friends go down to Victoria Street where Vietnamese people have stalls and often the Vietnamese people will have some. Or there is also Casa Iberica, which is a shop that sells Latin American products. Oh, there you but go. It's not, easy. it's not easy to find yucca. And, yeah, as I say, when I got back from Colombia, I was thinking, yucca in Australia and why don't we love it so much? 
Exactly. But you were saying it wouldn't grow so well in Melbourne, sir. It, it just—it's a short. It, it just needs the our uh, two or three hot months, and then you, the mm-hmm. roots are very small, unfortunately. Two years ago, I think we had the hottest average January uh, on record, at least overnight temperatures. You remember that? Then, mm. at, at where I got at Burnley outdoors, it it packed on stems and leaves. That was very interesting, and the the roots, the edible roots, were quite good. Well, so, unfortunately, I think we are going to be getting those hot summers. Thank mm. you. Thank you for ringing no, in. That's in. all right. Thanks again. It's great to hear someone discussing yucca for once. <laughs> Good on you then, Mari. Bye-bye. And then we have a call from Robert in Mitcham who wants to talk to Penny. Hello, Robert. <laughs> yes, good morning all. And, uh, and, uh, enjoying the talk about the garlics and things like that. But, uh, Dan, right at the, the, the simple end of things, We've got what I thought was uh, society garlic growing around the place in uh, pink and white white flowers. Where does that fit into the the whole world of uh, garlic? Look, look, society garlic is is not an allium. Um, it it's just Talbagia. Talbagia is its um, is its species name. Um, so it is it is actually. Um, it is similar in that it has the the oniony flavoured leaves. So, but it's actually not related to to garlic. Right. But it is edible. Oh, it is edible. Yeah, yeah. I don't find it particularly palatable, but yeah, it is certainly edible. And I I will eat the flowers. I'll use the flowers and things. I think they're great. But I don't find the leaves particularly palatable. There you go. There are pink ones and white ones, are there? That... Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and but but you don't want to confuse them with the with the garlic chives. So garlic chives um, are another are actually an allium. So they're allium tuberosum, and they are more closely related to garlics. Well, what does a garlic chive look like? It has the strappy garlic flavoured leaves and white flowers, and it will self sow quite readily um, around our gardens in Western Australia. It's a bit of a weed. Well, so garlic garlic chives is a bit more upright. And society garlic is it, a little bit it flops more, a bit more, more floppy yeah. and archy and the, the grey leaf. And the yeah, society garlic. more blue grey. And the society yeah. garlic has prettier flowers. Yeah, I quite <laughs> like the garlic chive flowers, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole garlic chive plant can be eaten. So. Yes, our garlic chives are totally wonderful. I think mm. Robert, you should get some garlic chives. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we should too. But, uh, <laughs> my wife just shouted out in the background. <laughs> Clarify um, green garlic. That's, that's just eating the bulbs as they, they grow along, is it? Um, no, well, green garlic is is uncured garlic. So you you harvest it and eat it straight away, um, oh, okay. but it's not cured. Mm-hmm. There you go. And can I just add one, one thing? When you were advertising for subscribers, you didn't tell us how much. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> Unwaged concession pension is 40 Waged is 80, and then if you're in a band, it's 150. So if you've got that rock and roll band, it'll be 150. I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> so unwaged concession pension, 40, and waged, 80. And, that's and what does solidarity mean, Virginia? That means obviously big, big donation, does it? I've got it up here. So uh, solidarity is people yeah. who've got a lot of money and they can afford right. to pay throw in extra, pay extra yeah, to keep like the sure. donation on top gotcha. of this. So yes. Right. Well, I'm certainly not that solid. 
So we'd love you to subscribe. Thank you again for watching our show. Yep, and you can get a book too if you subscribe today. There we go. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Robert. Cheers. Well, yes, we will now maybe go back. Oh, there's an author talk at Melbourne Botanic Gardens, 6.30. Oops. Sue Stewart Stewart Smith and Dr. Dimity Williams, hosted by Sophie Cunningham. Sue Stewart Smith is the person in Britain who has been doing gardens in hospitals for Mm. spinal patients, etc., etc. That will be very interesting. Author talk, Melbourne Botanic Gardens, 6.30pm on Tuesday the 5th of March. Sue Stewart-Smith, and of course her husband Mm. is one of the most famous um, horticulturalists in Britain. Okay. And then Warrigal Garden Club Symposium, guest speakers Sue Stewart-Smith, Stephen Wells and Tanya Bearup, Monday the 4th of March, and it's a daytime event at Warrigal Garden Club. And Margot has texted in to say that Kyneton... Now, can I find this up here? Yes, here we go. Kyneton Horticultural Society. She's got has got a very special speaker. The speaker is me. <laughs> Tomorrow night at seven thirty at the Cricket Club, the Cricket Club rooms at the showground. So that's Kyneton Horticultural Society. Tomorrow night, if anybody's interested. So there's quite quite a lot of things happening. Yeah, well, it's, it's that, that time, time of year, year isn't it's it? Quite yes. exciting. Now, Chris, we were going to talk about yeah, your well, plants. Absolutely. Thanks, Virginia. Yes, I've brought in two two plants. Um, one I'm pretty sure I've brought in here before, but I think it was years ago, and that's an, a, a hibiscus called cranberry hibiscus that you grow to eat the leaves. We can do a live taste test. <laughs> yes, can you please? Oh, pretty. They're, they're, Beautiful. Lovely plant. So please uh, mm. break off a, a leaf, um, Penny and Karen and Virginia, and see what you think. So it's kind of a tangy uh, flavour. Or sensation. Um, uh, loves the heat, grows well. To overwinter, you have to take cuttings, you know, really sort of any time in summer and keep them going uh, in, with shelter. I've only seen it survive winter once, but it strikes easier from cuttings. So from, you've only seen it survive winter once? Yeah, just where it was frost, frost free and free draining. Right. Yep. Um, so it tastes like lemon sorrel. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair the enough. Fair, the, oh, the irony. Yeah. What Hang, sort of size? It is different. Yeah, so it, it, it does get to about a metre and a half. Okay. And if I could give it a gratuitous, not a plug so much, but I'll be on Gardening Australia on Friday, March the 8th Ooh. with some of my students where um, Jane Edmondson will be doing, I hope, depending on whether it made the final cut, will be chewing on this uh, exact plant. But beautiful uh, red foliage, mm. so um, cranberry plant. foliage. Now, the yep. other one I've brought in is um, kind of new. I haven't actually... Uh, grown it in the ground yet, but it's um, it's it's a plectranthus, but re- renamed recently to Collius, so in the mint family. Um, it's called Collius rotundifolius. It's flopping because I just did a cutting yesterday, um, and it produces. So it's a, it's, a, it's meant to be from uh, Africa, although grown in uh, India and other parts of Asia, and it has a, a it grows a tuber. It's a, it's a Plectranthus with a, an edible tuber. So, um, re- did you get it from Green Harvest? Because I feel like I, I read did. that, and I, I didn't did. ever get one, but I read about it. Yeah, I really love the foliage. I mean, I say sorry about the state of this one, but yeah. it will. It, it just produces this lovely compact 
um, mound mm-hmm. so far and a very large pot I'm growing it at Burnley. So I, it, to me, and I know this is very much your um, Ballywick, uh, Karen, is it's ornamental edible. It's really pretty. Yeah. Mm. So it would be a pretty good ground cover. But, uh, yeah, again, yet to be tested in the ground, but I'm pretty sure, well, would it overwinter, but it strikes so easily from cutting. So Which coleus is, is it again, Chris? Coleus rotundifolius. But you can have this. I'm donating... <gasps> To well, people here, or <laughs> and to everyone in the room. I'm thinking, how am I going to get one of these? Now? Yeah, yeah, no, well, that's we done. Will. So, oh, so you. we can all take a piece. Please, that'd be wonderful. Because um, one of the so things nice. about plectranthus are they are so easy to grow. Mm. Very much. I, I, and I will say too, and this is definitely not proved yet, if you will. But I've been thinking about because the, these leaves are meant to be edible too. I was going to ask. But that. I've been thinking about the whole the whole issue, and you know, Penny, you can speak this. Like, you've got to be careful, right? But if plectranthus largely has edible leaves and the mint family is not toxic i wonder i'd love to get tested i'd love to know whether plectranthus argentatus our very own australian plectranthus at least the only one i know whether you could actually cook them up as a spinach all plectranthus come from australia or southern africa there you go and there are more than just argentatus yeah sure that's Um, a random fact to know virginia (laughs) yeah that's good but and i'm just going to what i'd like to say briefly too is that this this species which is coleus rotundifolius but previously plectranthus is didn't all coleus get put into plectranthus or the other oh oh, it's this has swung back the other way i think okay i need to double check for the taxonomy nerds out there we need to we need to look, know this. Look at both plectranthus and colleagues. Yes. But um, what I was going to say was this this one's regarded as a, there's a kind of lost crops, um, not movement out there, but there's a very famous book called Lost Crops of the Incas. I was which, wondering yeah. if you had other And so this well. is Lost Crops of the of Africa. So, you know, oh. in some parts of the world, the whole notion of culturally appropriate food where, where different communities are trying to go back to the crops that used to be sort of part of their gardening traditions. And... Um, I'm working with uh, the United Africa Farm. It's one of my uh, projects at the moment. I'm so excited to be working with Tuch Ajak and uh, Mama Queer down in uh, Cardinia between Cranbourne and Pakenham. And they're, they're doing um, trying to grow culturally appropriate food to the wider African community in Melbourne, um, largely South Sudanese, but other communities as well. So it's on my mind at the moment. What, what edible species are there from Africa um, that would suit... African community in Melbourne. Or, or in Shepparton, because there's quite a few Sydney's right. people in Shepparton and the climate might be good for this. I'm Could thinking. be. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, that's me. Because Maybe you'll have to come up and visit in Shepparton I and will. speak to the African community. Yeah. So the question will be, is it a, a shade plant? Because most, not all, but most of the plectranthus are very happy in dry shade. I'm going to put it, yeah, it's going in the ground soon. So right. I'll give an update next time I'm on. Okay. I mean, mm. if I've invited back, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, I think it's very interesting because there is a lot of interest in plectranthus um, because there are a lot of quite a lot of Australian ones. And yep. there's a lot in actual South Africa, South Africa. And I wonder if it's a Gondwana plant because, as I say, that's where mm. they are. When, uh, we, when we did the Community Gardens book, we found plectranthus sambonicus, which is five seasons herb. Yep. It was originally coleus and got moved into the plectranthus. Um, and it's a, it's a much more um, succulent leaf, um, but it's used in a lot of, of Asian cooking. Oh, of course. I know that plant. Mm, yeah. It's very yeah. strong. Yeah. yeah. Well, this this tastes a little bit like that. When you said it's edible, I tasted it and I thought, oh, it's a bit strong. And I thought, well, maybe it's meant to be a, mm. a herb, you know, mm. just like a little tiny bit added to food. 
the strictable bark. Dog, dog's bane, which is supposed to repel dogs, is also a plectranthus. So and it has yeah, a very strong smell. It has a very strong <laughs> smell. We've got another call. We might just try and take that before we finish. This is Des from Knox, who wants to know if it's safe to spray Roundup under fruit trees. Des, are you there? Hello. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, there's some established uh, fruit trees in an orchard and my friend wants to spray um, some form of glyphosate underneath to kill off the uh, well-established uh, cooch and kaikuya grasses growing underneath them. And I'm wondering, will that damage fruit trees? Like some are 40 years old and some are just one or two years old. And there's a mix of apple, plum and citrus. Thank you. Will it damage the trees or impair the fruit? Um, look, done carefully, it shouldn't. You've got to be really careful about spray drift, though, so that you're not getting it on the leaves. There I, is... I, just, I, just, I don't use Roundup anywhere anymore um there is a spray that you can buy it's much more expensive than roundup but it only kills grasses and it would strike me that this might be a good occasion you mean slasher you mean no, slasher no, no i've forgotten the name of it of course. another organic spray no it's not organic oh okay uh, but it will it will take out grasses and only grasses mm. so it's safer to spray i've never heard of I it i think it's a yates one Oh, it's it's one that you tend to find in um yeah. in country shops because mm. obviously they use it in paddocks. But I mean, another way of of getting rid of those or trying to control those sort of grasses is by sheet mulching. So you know that's what I do in my garden. Um, when I've you know I pull out as much as I can and then <coughs> I sheet mulch, which helps to stop them from coming up again. So look, I've got no idea how big your area is. It's, it's a very extensive area. There's okay. a couple of hundred trees. Okay, so no, that that's may well be out of... Too big for cardboard. Yeah, yes, too yeah. much for cardboard. But, but technically the rule would be, which is I think what Penny's alluding to, is that it's not going to um, hurt the fruit trees through the soil. It's only drift that would... If, if the spray were to go onto the foliage, then you would, it would... Because glyphosate's broad spray. I, I, I read on site... On, online on some articles that said after the grass was killed the glyphosate as the um, that grass uh, deteriorates would go into the soil and then be absorbed eventually by tree roots and that it would then stay um, it probably wouldn't be lethal to the trees but it would move up and down inside the uh, <coughs> the uh, xylem and phloem and uh, possibly affect the growth hardiness and you know to Des, we're nearly eat going and to cold have... over years and possibly mm. affect the taste of Des, fruit. we're going to have to go I will get people to answer that question but we're just about offline thank you for uh, ringing in um, look I, I would be really careful with Roundup you know using it in any position I haven't read that sort of research about it Going up in, into alone. trees. Have you come um, across that, Chris? In, no. In no. I find so, it hard to believe because yeah, they I, use I, Roundup. Yeah. Orchardists use I Roundup. I think to, to do it once um, to get rid of the of the, the load of cooch is is probably worth doing if you want to keep using the fruit trees. But I would then work it um, once the cooch is gone at improving your soil, getting lots, getting a really diverse 
soil underneath those trees so that they can break down whatever else is in the soil. Yeah, and it's always a question, right, if you get rid of uh, summer grasses like that, what, what are you going to replace it with? Yeah. Mulch? The, other yeah, plants you because you will it'll just be colonized mm, either mm. by oh, the grasses from the edge again in. or mm, it'll yeah. be broadleaf weeds prolific mm, mm, yeah mm. yes so it's going to be um a fairly yeah. it's a difficult one to and it's, and mm. it's not a one-off answer so yeah and but in in answer i i think maybe one part of his question was that roundup supposedly is meant to affect yeah um it's roses roses and young grapevines that can be affected but i don't think established fruit trees in the plant itself, like if you spray underneath roses or this was something I remember learning, you know, 30 years ago or something, but roses or young fruit trees and birch trees. So they have, they're really affected by. Well, birch trees Miranda. are quite shallow rooted. Which That's, might yeah. With the, so I wondered about the citrus when he said that. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, we couldn't, didn't have more time to go into it in more depth. But uh, but as you say, Penny, it's quite a complicated mm. issue for us to actually try and address. Mm. Well, that's us for today. I hope you've all enjoyed the program today. I think it's I think it's been really interesting. I've been learning things, which is always an absolute treat. And next week we will have a completely new lineup with completely different things to talk about. Cheers, everybody. I see a question.